I'm Stephen, he's Chris, and this is Mobile Arcade Club, a show where we take a look at games from Apple Arcade each episode and talk about what works, what doesn't, and hopefully let you know if it's something you might want to try. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Mobile Arcade Club. On this episode, we're checking out Lego Star Wars Battles. Let me try that again. I just <laughs> knocked my cord into the thing. Um, uh, oh, good. Yeah, that's right. On this episode, we're checking out Lego Star Wars Battles and The Last Campfire. But we'll start things off with Lego Star Wars Battles, a very cute real-time strategy game that's very similar to another very popular mobile game, isn't it, Stephen? Absolutely it is. So, yeah, Lego Star Wars Battles, it's by Traveller's Tales Games out of the UK, and if you've ever played Clash Royale, you will see some similarities, let's say. It's uh, in its mechanics, its underlying systems, it is Super Clash Royale. But if you don't know what that is, I figure we should probably give a little bit of a heads up as to how you play this game. So essentially, it's a 1v1 real-time strategy game where matches only last a couple of minutes. It's real good sort of mobile quick hit stuff where you will be at one side of a of a map, your opponent will be on the other side of a map, and you'll have a deck of cards that you can set up before the match. And you'll get at the bottom of your screen, you'll be given a set of four cards from that deck. Uh, and you will build up, uh, sorry, each of those cards will cost you a certain amount of points to be able to play. As time progresses, you build up points so that you can use it. And that kind of controls the flow of the game so how much you can play more powerful cards cost you a bit more so you'll have to wait to be able to use them and things like that uh, but yeah essentially you place cards down onto the map they do their own thing from that point forward so really your involvement after you've put them down ends with that particular unit and then you sort of let them do their own thing they'll they'll walk forward they will attack enemy towers along the way as well as usually any uh, enemy units that they encounter on the way to the enemy's main tower Uh, and your objective is to build towers to allow yourself to to take over the map and start deploying units further up closer to the enemy's base uh, with the ultimate Hmm. goal being to destroy their central tower or as many towers of theirs as you can and yeah there's a there's a whole lot of different dynamics that will go on as you're playing the game different different cards will be more effective against others you and they're all themed after characters from the from the Lego Star Wars universe specifically so you've got things like Lego uh, stormtroopers you've got a, a flock of porgs you've got ewoks you've got uh yeah all these all these fun little little creatures and robots that you can play with uh, as well as champion characters where you, depending on whether you're playing on the light side or the dark, you'll typically get, you know, you start off with Luke Skywalker and um, and Darth Vader, which is fairly classic. But as you play through the game, you can go through and unlock other other champions that have different abilities and just look different and cooler potentially. And yeah, so that's that's really the, the core. The core of the game is you want to put units down, kill the other units so they're trying to get you and get to the other other people's tower and destroy it before they can do the same to you. Yeah, well, that, that pretty well sums up the, the, the gameplay loop. And similar to games like Clash Royale and the, the countless spin-offs that have spawned from that, as is the case with any popular game or any genre that gains traction, it, it sort of feels like a very, very mini 
auto MOBA as well. Uh, if you're familiar with MOBAs like League of Legends, uh, Dota, those sort of things, where it's it's lane based and uh, you know you've got you've got your towers to defend and destroy as well. You know it's it's a very very miniature scale of that, but it's it's very very approachable to to get into because what what's remind me what what are the match lengths for any given match? Is it two minutes? I yeah. I don't know off the top of my head, but it was only like two or three minutes, and it's fairly effective. Yeah. At once you once you get a couple minutes in, it will start speeding things up. It'll double the rate at which you both get points, so that the round can you know end a bit more quickly and if it still hasn't ended after a while it will enter sort of a sudden death moment where if you both have the same amount of towers left on your side first mm. person to destroy one wins it really does everything that it can to make sure the pace of the game is brisk yes yes so this is definitely one that you can play if you've only got a handful of minutes to, to play a quick game or two definitely you've you've got nothing to stress about here it's one that's very easy to you know dive in and out of at a, at a whim and yeah there's there's a, a clear progression to it as well so that as as you play you you work towards uh leveling up or opening sort of you know, what what would be considered loot box sort of things mm. in a in a freemium game but of course here uh being an apple arcade game there's no microtransactions so you don't need to worry about uh, any of the sort of predatory uh, monetization elements there uh so these these sort of yeah, for, for lack of a better term, we'll call them loot box sort of things because I can't remember hmm. what exactly they're called. But they um, they will then open after a period of time with with more cards. And if they're duplicates of cards that you already own, then that goes towards upgrading and leveling up those units so that their stats uh, increase, including their their maximum health, their the damage output or movement speed, uh, those those mm. sort of things to help you uh, you know get better and better and you know incrementally improve your your team. And you'll also, as as Stephen alluded to, you'll also get new units as well, uh, which it's it's an interesting thing. And this this is one of the 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 key strategies or one of the core strategic components of Lego Star Wars Battles, Clash Royale, any of those sort of games is that different types of units are best suited to combating other types of units. It's almost a little bit of a uh, you know, rock, paper, scissors or a triangle hmm. system where uh, you know, you've got your, your foot infantry units that are good at you know, fighting against other foot infantry units. And then you've got some uh, some like bomber units, like for the, the light side, you've got your Y-wings. Or for the dark side, you've got your TIE bombers, and those are most effective at dealing damage to towers and, and structures. Mm. And then you've got, like, um, separate to your champions who tend to be pretty good against most other units. Yes, uh, You've also... Yeah, you've also got uh, anti-infantry units such as like the the first order flame troopers, or for the towers, the defense towers. You can build, you can build ones that specialize in you know like crowd control or flamethrowers mm. to to take out sort of those those stacks of of infantry units. So there's certainly a bit of strategy con to consider, and I think one of the things that makes Lego Star Wars battles more appealing to someone like me 
as opposed to Clash Royale is the fact that it is on Apple Arcade, which, um, as I see you've noted down, so I'll throw this over to you, Stephen, Mm -hmm. uh, it eliminates one of the sort of more insidious elements of, you know, these sort of competitive freemium games. Yeah, especially because I did play a lot of Clash Royale a couple of years ago, and I managed to have a lot of fun with it without ever really throwing money at it. But it always felt like the the option is there that if you want to throw money at things to to unlock something faster, to you know, to upgrade your units more quickly, or something like that, there is this. I guess, element behind the scenes of if you pay money, you might get a better deck because, as you alluded to before, you can upgrade when you collect enough of the same cards, say your First Order Flame Troopers, you will be able to use or spend currency and upgrade them so that they can get those improved stats. And it in, I guess, the free-to-play versions of the game or of this genre, it can sometimes feel like it's throws the balance out a little bit. It it does have a sense of matchmaking based on your rough sort of deck level, how if you, you know, yours are leveled up roughly to the same that the other person's is, then it will try and match you that way, which helps to balance it a lot. But it can sometimes feel like you need to, you know, spend money to upgrade your deck so that you can beat people rather than necessarily being better at using what you have. And this sidesteps that entirely. It still has the leveling up of your deck aspect, but it's more to do with how much you've played and whether you've met certain daily quests and things like that in order to to get more cards, to get more currency, to upgrade your deck and get more variety of cards. So it's still it it didn't really throw out the balance as much as I thought it would, thanks to that, you know, fairly good um matchmaking. Um but yeah, it definitely it it feels like it rewards you with cool upgrades for playing rather than even tempting you by, you know, you could unlock this thing faster if you threw some money at it. But I guess by that same token, I was quite taken aback by how similar the, I guess, the meta game behind the actual strategy was to, to Clash Royale and I assume other ones of the genre where you'll have, you know, those loot box style things. I think they were like asteroids that you shoot and you'll get a certain thing out of each one. You'll mm. also have like the multiple currencies that you deal with that you earn through different actions. Uh, you'll have uh, things that will unlock with a time gate. So you'll have something that takes two hours to unlock and you have to go into the game to start it unlocking and then you know jump back into the game a few hours later once it has unlocked. In, in other games, it would feel like a, I guess, sort of an engagement bait sort of thing as... No, that doesn't sound too yeah. great, but it kind of it feels like it's constantly trying to get you to come back to the game so that you'll spend money, but it's not a game that you spend money in. So I don't know. It it doesn't feel like to me. I I don't really love it when games have that kind of artificial engagement sort of stuff because I I play a game because I enjoy it, not because I feel compelled to by a notification. But it if you can't throw money at it, that helps. That it, it feels weird, but it stops it from being sort of predatory or anything anything insidious in that way yeah and it's it's interesting because there actually is a version of lego star wars battles on the google play store uh and one that does have uh in-game purchases as well so uh which i think it's clear that there wouldn't be any matchmaking between ios and android plays in that case because Mm -hmm. that would throw things a little out of whack i i would assume but yeah i i do 
I do agree uh, that, you know, games that very clearly, and I think I touched on this a little bit in the last episode when I was talking about the Zookeeper World game, mm-hmm. is that when when the games, you can sort of see the, the seams in them where they're very clearly sort of trying to keep you playing through some of this artificial, uh, you know, these artificial engagement tactics. Mm. It, it does, yeah, it does really wear on me because, like like you said, I, I keep playing a game if I'm enjoying it, not because the game keeps wanting me to play it. I mean, sure, there, there are some games, like for those who enjoy playing MMOs and, and those sort of things, where you've got your daily quests and that sort of stuff mm. that do reward you for, for logging back in. But again, the innate appeal of those games in the first place is that they've already got like interesting worlds or interesting quest structures that you want to play, but you also you know are rewarded for playing regularly in addition to that. So... Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a bit annoying, but yeah, one one thing with with Lego Star Wars uh, battles that I I will say that I I found a little bit tricky, and I think I think you you struggled with this a little bit as well in terms of when trying to compile a a deck of units to bring into a game. At a quick glance, it wasn't super clear as to what units were best effective against others Mm -hmm. because uh, while there are, you could argue that each of the units does fit a certain archetype, there aren't any specific types in inverted uh, commas, Mm. you know, types of units. Uh, So it's not like, okay, all the green coloured units are good against red units or blue units are good against red that that sort of thing mm. whereas it, it sort of gave you a little symbol icon of the the matching icon unit that it would be effective or weak against but i think one one addition that would help clarify that for me especially when it's referring to cards that i haven't encountered or haven't unlocked yet and wouldn't be familiar with the icons for is if there was just a little bit of text accompanying it saying Mm. oh this is good against the flame trooper unit or that sort of stuff uh or you know it's good against this hero or this sort of thing just to be a little bit more clear about Okay, what is the best use case for for this for this uh, unit? Yeah, and I, I think th- I think that was something you found as well. I found when you're actually going through and creating a deck or looking at the details of the card, it does have you know this is effective against this and ineffective against that. But what I found challenging is that I couldn't really intuit that by looking at what the unit looks like. I guess when you're looking at mm. say. This is a strange example, but look at Pokemon. You don't really need to memorize most of the type uh, interactions because it's fairly straightforward that, you know, fire versus grass, fire is going to win. That's sort of logically Mm. makes sense. Whereas here, Porgs versus Battle Droids doesn't have that same (laughs) level of immediate understandability. When you just look at it, you can't just work out what's going to win out of that. You kind of have to look at the card and remember what it says for each particular card. I found mm. it much harder to read at a glance. Whereas I I think it, it it's not like, you know, Clash Royale doesn't have that a little bit as well, but I found that I, I keep comparing to it because it's the main one that I've played in this kind of genre, but I found that much easier to read more quickly 
you wouldn't know immediately mm. what you know a swarm of bats is going to be effective against, but I found it a lot easier to commit to memory their effectiveness in different situations versus this where I kind of, I got a rough idea, but usually I was mostly just throwing units at it until I won, which um, in the initial stages is quite straightforward. I could never quite work out if I was being put up against fairly easy bots or children or just people who had not played anything of this genre before. But the first, the first planet was almost a bit of a pushover. I, it, it reminded me of going back to Fortnite after a while and it's like, I'm winning my first match after being away for six months. This feels weird. Is this game now full <laughs> of bots? And it just sort of makes you think about that. And yeah, I, I couldn't tell if it was AI or children, but once you get to the, like the second planet, get to Endor, that's when I started having to actually be aware of what was on the field. And it does, it does become quite a fun game once you get an idea of what's effective against what you it kind of be, can become a little bit of a game of cat and mouse you're waiting for one person to make a move so you can effectively counter it and they're going to counter your counter and it's just a whole lot of back and forth in that way which once you've got two people on board who have a fairly decent understanding of what you know how these interactions work can be quite an exciting sort of game experience especially when you get to the you know the sudden death at the end you're getting double double speed energy and you're first to destroy a tower you're like, oh it just gets absolutely intense and that can be pretty good fun yeah and to revisit your example of trying to figure out okay what's what's going to win out of a healthy team of battle droids versus a team of porgs you know if if they at least equip the porgs with rocket launchers or something then perhaps <laughs> it might be a little clearer as to okay these these little little puffin sort of things are going to absolutely uh wreck these you know bucket of bolts yeah <laughs> I, I i i i totally agree and understand i think uh, one one other thing that disappointed me about Lego Star Wars Battles is that it it builds itself as a as a PvP as a as a player versus player multiplayer game, but uh, there's no way that I could see at least to to match make with friends, mm. and I I understand to to an extent that that's sort of like a you know, like a, a balance sort of thing, because if each match you're playing, you're earning, you're, you're you know, winning or losing points and adjusting, you know, a global ranking accordingly, then, you know, the ability to match mate with friends, irrespective of matching skill level and that sort of stuff might, might skew the results somewhat, uh, especially if, you know, you, you're trying to some. There might be you know friends trying to help friends gain mm. a few ranks, so perhaps yeah. throwing a few games on behalf uh, of their uh, their benefit. But I, I I'd like to you know be able to to play against you know a friend because mm. we we tried to play a game against one another uh, one time and yeah we couldn't find any option for doing so. And I think perhaps one way of navigating that from a fairness and a ranking perspective would be that, okay, if you want to do friend uh, matchmaking in battles, then either have a separate sort of ranking thing or have it not affect rankings whatsoever, that it's mm. just like a, a friendly match uh, that doesn't count towards anything whatsoever except maybe you know, your, your personal stats like wins versus friends, uh, mm. you know, one zip or whatever. I did which, find yeah, actually um, on that note, I, I didn't actually get to play it, but I did see that there was I think like a tournament mode or something to that effect where it did talk about this will 
equalize your decks. It will level up all of your cards to a consistent same level. So that way everyone's on an even playing field and they've already got that. I feel like if they, if balance was the concern, they've kind of already solved it. I just, yeah, it's something, some of the most fun that I've had with games of this type is getting a group of you know four friends together and having 2v2 mm. battles. It's just can be so intensely fun and I just would have really liked to to play against you and throw some porgs at you or something like that, but it just didn't. I, I got up to Endor, which seemed to be where it unlocks all of the major, all of the main features, and I just couldn't find a way to match with my friends, which was a bit of a bummer. Yeah, so maybe maybe it could be there buried deep somewhere, but perhaps I, I didn't just get far enough. And if that's the case, then uh, by all means, contact us on, on our socials to hmm. let us know how wrong we are. But, yeah, I, I did find that disappointing. And, yeah, but I, I think overall I, I did enjoy LEGO Star Wars Battles uh, for, for, for what it is. And I think, hmm. you know, it, it's it's a pretty a pretty strong example of the genre and I think if you're going to play it, the Apple Arcade version makes the most sense because then you don't have to worry about all the, you know, in-game purchase uh, garbage elements. Yeah, I don't know if it makes it much different to the to the Google Play version, but I would imagine maybe the timers are more lenient or something. They're, I'm sure they've done a mm. few um, adjustments to, to make it more friendly because you can't just throw money at things to make them better. I found it super interesting that there even is a Google Play version because I would kind of thought that was part of Apple Arcade at all was that you know, it wasn't on another mobile platform. But I guess we've got all the Plus games now, the Classics games now. It seems there are different rules for different areas. And I don't know, maybe this just is an exception or maybe the rule isn't as, uh, as steadfast as we thought it was. But yeah, I just thought that an interesting point to finish up. Yeah, that and the combined powers of Lego and Disney that be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that probably I doesn't suppose hurt. suppose <laughs> if, if, uh, if they want something, I suspect it's theirs. Mm. Uh, no questions asked. Probably. So, or ra- or rather, rather, some questions asked, but enough money changes, exchanges hands mm. to uh, sort of you know, help the medicine go down there. They have ways of making things happen. Indeed, indeed. Well, that's that's it for Lego Star Wars Battles. Now time for something very, very different and a bit slower paced. The Last Campfire by Hello Games, based out of the UK. So if that name sounds familiar to you, Hello Games, then you're probably right because it's from the folks behind Joe Danger. That was a fantastic no game Sky. on the PlayStation 3. <laughs> and if you haven't played Joe Danger, it's also on the Vita the most life-giving platform of history of all time, Joe Danger was good. But sorry, I interrupted you for the next part of that that reveal. There was a second Joe Danger game as well, but I don't think I ever played that one. I can't remember if I did either. It's all a blur. Yeah. But yes, Joe Danger, a couple of games there, and a little game you might have heard of over the years called No Man's Sky. So obviously they've got a a couple of internal teams working on a few different things here and there. So The Last Campfire is a little bit of an adventure puzzle game sort of thing where you play as what I could best describe as a little sack-like creature uh, referred to as Ember who they get separated from the rest of their people while on a sacred journey. They're traveling along this little river in their their rowboats with with their, their oars and 
Ember just gets uh, a little bit left behind and uh, through a little bit of inattentiveness, uh, through a little bit of clumsiness, they, they get separated from the rest of their people uh, who yeah are completing this sacred journey. And then you've got to adventure around to sort of find your people again and go on this, this journey. So on on phone, which is how I played the uh, you know the entirety of my sort of time with the last campfire, mm-hmm. uh, you control Ember by tapping various locations on the screen because uh, you sort of it's sort of this um, uh, I wouldn't say isometric, but this this three D um, sort of you know fixed camera perspective. It that almost you're looking looks down kind of Ember in the surroundings. It looks kind of diorama like in what I've seen of it. Yeah, and that's that's a very very apt description uh, because I'll, I'll get to it in a sec. But yeah, the the locations and the, the environments are really really beautifully designed. But yeah, with within these environments, uh, you you tap on various uh, spots on the screen to to move Ember uh, to them and to interact with objects. Uh, where they then proceed to to move where where you've tapped towards, and you can double tap to make them dash, you know, move a little bit faster. It's in in some regards, it's sort of a little bit like a point and click adventure, uh, playing it with touch controls. And I, I found that a really nice way to play it because it felt really precise and was uh, very intuitive. And objects that you could interact with were not. Um, not excessively so, not uh, not obtusely so, but they were, were subtly highlighted and had like this little little dot above them to to signify yes, you can interact with this uh, that's without nice. sort of being yeah without being too much you know here's here's a glowing neon sign here's what you need to do uh, that sort of thing yeah that sounds like uh, a fairly yeah. subtle way of doing it because I've seen some. A lot of point-and-click style adventure games in the past would have relied on you hovering over with a mouse for something to be highlighted as interactable, mm. but when it's a touchscreen, you need something else because you can't can't hover there. So, yeah, that sounds like a, a reasonably subtle, not like, bam, this is a video game, here's an object to do, but it sounds like a nice uh, a nice way to give you some indication that you might want to investigate this object a little more. Yeah, yeah, and it's the the way that the story is is told to you once you sort of get to the the foot of this this river that you've you know got got lost upon. Um, this this gentle narration then sort of commentates your your actions, or not not quite to the to the extent that for those who remember Supermassive Games debut title Bastion, mm-hmm. where that literally did commentate your each and every action uh, here with The Last Campfire during key moments uh, and also as a little bit of a prompt to, to help you sort of find your direction. This gentle narration uh, kicks in, providing context for what you're doing or providing explanation for um, you know some of the some of the environments or some of the sort of relics or sacred sites that you come across. Uh, because these these characters, uh, including Ember, that you encounter, they're they're voiceless. So sometimes there's little little dialogue boxes that pop up, mm-hmm. but this this narration then sort of fills in the gaps, and yeah, offering guidance on sort of your your journey along the way. Mm-hmm. One thing I found interesting was uh, I I couldn't quite pick what the accent was. It's a very intriguing one. Um, ah. Because I know, I know in the UK and even in England, depending on 
what part of England you're from. There's different accents, but I also wasn't sure, oh, okay, is there a bit of Welsh in there or is there a bit of something? Because then I'm, you know, bordering on dangerous territory there because I know most of our listeners uh, hail from the United States and it's sort of a bit like, you know, confusing an English Englishman and a, and a Welshman or a Scotsman and an Irishman. It's sort of like confusing the accent of an American and a Canadian. You just don't want to, you just don't want to make that mistake. It's just not done. They won't like it. It won't no, do you any favours. No. No, no, not uh, not worth me drawing the the ire of the, the fine folks from the UK. No, but yeah, yeah, quite quite a nice narration at that. But yeah, um, in addition to the exploration that uh, the last campfire revolves around, uh, you solve various environmental puzzles. So early on, it included basic puzzles such as uh, you came across an ancient symbol that was upside down. Uh, so by then tapping on it and then holding and rotating uh, on on your touchscreen, you had to put it up the right way to open up a door. Mm -hmm. And then following that, you had to play one of those sort of square uh, grid-based puzzles where you've got... Oh, it's very difficult for me to describe this in words, so I'll give it a very quick shot. Mm -hmm. One of those puzzles where you've got a limited amount of square-shaped gaps and you've got to move one square sort of to the other end and uh, rotate the squares um, sort of in between to try and, you know, navigate it through the gaps, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, if I've completely lost those listening, that's okay. I think I lost <laughs> myself along the way. But, yeah, so, you know, various various puzzles and a lot of them uh, use the, the touch screen quite nicely. Um, some of the, the puzzles involved uh, freeing trapped flames uh, who then sort of represented uh, sort of fellow lost people of Ember's kind uh, who had sort of, you know, been, been lost along the way and by freeing the flames you then sort of revive them and sort of bring sort of renewed renewed hope to their journey from sort of one realm to the next. Hmm. Um, but, yes, some of these puzzles to free the flames brought up this uh, sort of separate diorama setting with different structures and uh, various levels that utilize like a 3D perspective. And it felt really reminiscent of the, the puzzles uh, popularized by the Monument Valley games, which if if you're designing puzzles that are sort of on a similar level to Monument Valley, you're yeah. doing pretty well. That's a pretty, which... a pretty high bar to be compared against, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. So these... These little dioramas are so beautifully designed and even in between sort of these specific puzzle areas, there's just these lovely lush environments. You know, there's these, you know, bodies of water surrounded by lush greenery or there's some sort of warmer, uh, sort of more temperate areas for you to explore as well, which is reflected in just these really nice crisp graphics and visuals that it, it really looks lovely uh, on an iphone and i'd be keen to play it on a, another on another platform because that was one of the reasons uh, i was keen to visit the last campfire because it's been out on apple arcade for i think well over a year now but it's only just hit a bunch of other platforms mm. because i imagine uh platform exclusivity uh expired recently but yeah, it looks really, really beautiful. And I love the way that this sort of fixed camera 
uh, follows Ember and tracks through these locations. So as you move uh, and tap through these locations, mm-hmm. the camera tracks through and sort of the, the foliage in the foreground you know, then moves past the camera, giving this really nice sense of depth to each of the environments as well. So, yeah, just really, really lovely. Um, I think the the combination of the visuals and sort of the, the technical grunt the game required mm-hmm. On on the iPhone XR that I was using, uh, it did get quite hot in my hands. So it's probably one of the more resource intensive Apple Arcade games. So bear that in mind. Uh, you know, depending on what hardware you have, it may run a bit hot or mm. may drop a few frames here and there. So uh, if you've got some of the more recent hardware or playing on you know, one of those nice MacBooks with uh, the uh, what's what's that new fancy processor they've um, oh, the the M ones uh, they. Uh, that's Apple that's the one, yes. Mm. That's the one, yeah. That'd probably run like an absolute dream. But yeah, it's yeah, really, really beautiful. Um, it didn't actually take long for the puzzles to ramp up in complexity either, because oh, some of those, some of those early puzzles, like I said, about simply rearranging a symbol or playing one of those basic square-based puzzles. Mm. Those were solved pretty quickly, but there was there was a puzzle that I encountered, I reckon, not long after the half an hour of playing that mm-hmm. had me stumped for a little bit. I oh. and I wasn't I wasn't sure if it was because I made an early mistake, which then made it difficult for me to recover from or that sort of thing, yeah. and just needed to refresh it and start again. But uh, it it took me longer to figure out than I was <laughs> expecting. So um, yeah, yeah, it, it seems like there's some decent decent challenge and depth of the puzzles as well so yeah i i i didn't uh have time to play enough to to finish the game but i certainly played enough to know that i really really liked what the last campfire was putting down it it looks beautiful Uh, it's got this really lovely evocative soundtrack as well and the it's got great puzzle and environment design as well so yeah, this this one is certainly one of the better Apple Arcade games I've encountered. Yeah, gosh, it really sounds like a winner, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised given the the pedigree of the of the developer behind it. They you know, definitely have a a reputation for having quite fantastic games with you know, really interesting visuals and just a lot of these a lot of the elements that you're talking about with the storytelling and visual elements sound yeah right up a uh, Hello Games alley. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. They've they've built up some uh, pretty strong pedigree and goodwill with this this turnaround that they've done on No Man's Sky. And well, I mean, we we were the original believers, yeah, having played <laughs> Joe Danger. Yes, but, oh, uh, they can yeah, do no they're, wrong. Yeah, they're 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 good folks there at Hello Games, and yeah, the Last Campfire is further evidence of that. Hmm. Which brings us to the end of this episode of Mobile Arcade Club. Stephen, what are you playing next episode? Next episode. So this is a game that I'd forgotten was even on Apple Arcade. It came out at launch from memory. Sonic Racing. It's come back up in my Twitter feed because they've looks like they've had a fairly big content update. They've added the classic Sonic character, which you know is always the way to my heart. I love that little fat round boy. And yeah, so Sonic Racing by Sega Hardlight out of the UK describes itself as super speed racing. I'm excited to find out exactly what that means. Heck yeah, yeah. I think it's a 2.0 update, so it sounds pretty substantial. Mm. Meanwhile, 
I'm also playing a game that has received an update after quite some time. And it's one that we sussed out very, very briefly in our introductory episode where we just gave a brief overview of some of the uh, Apple Arcade games available at launch. And it is Cricket Through the Ages by Free Lives, developers out of South Africa, published by the wacky folks at Devolver Digital, who, if it's published by them, it's usually worth looking at. And uh, yeah, it's billed as History Through Cricket. And I note that it's had a pretty significant update. So it's time for me to actually give this a proper shot, I reckon, especially heading into the Australian summer, ready for cricket season. Surely this is going to be the realistic cricket sim I've been waiting for on mobile. Oh, absolutely. I've seen seen screenshots. I played it a little bit. I think you're in for a wonderful simulation time. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Mobile Arcade Club, and we will hope to have your listenership next episode. Catch you then. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you had fun and maybe found something useful. If you did enjoy the show, we'd love it if you told a mobile game-loving friend about it or gave us a review in Apple Podcasts. It all helps more people find the show. You can follow the show on Twitter, at MArcadeClub, where we'll talk about games from upcoming episodes, and each of us hosts are happy to chat gaming too. Our handles are in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll chat again next time.